0: Welcome to the Woe Podcast about horses and horsemanship, where we get to talk horses. We're your hosts. I'm Renee Hare.
1: And I'm John Hare.
0: Thanks for listening and sharing our horsemanship journey.
1: I first ran across Megan Warlick when she was a student at the Clinton Anderson Down Under Horsemanship Clinician Academy. Since then, her horsemanship has grown. And 2017 has been a banner year. Megan has been competing in the extreme cowboy races, and she's really found her niche. This year, at the world finals, she won the pro division and the futurity division.
0: And the overall horsemanship award. Pretty amazing for her first full year competing.
1: Absolutely. But it wasn't all roses. The first time Megan competed, she went back home, and she made many of the mistakes we did.
2: So I came home and I started just throwing stuff at him. Like I did what, you know, probably a lot of people do, it's just human nature. You go to the hardest obstacle first and you ask your horse to do it at a lope and expect them to just like figure it out. And so I ruined a couple of (laughs) obstacles, specifically a teeter
0: totter bridge and one called a pinwheel. But Megan kept at it, found a great trainer to help her, found a couple of really good horses and developed a good solid plan. For training the obstacles.
1: We caught up with Megan from a ranch in Stephenville, Texas. And on today's show, she shares her journey in extreme cowboy racing and offers some great tips on how you can improve your relationship with your horse. Good morning. We're speaking with Megan Warlick from Stephenville, Texas. How are you doing this morning, Megan?
2: Uh, great, John. How are you?
1: We're doing well. We were following the national finals of the extreme cowboy race and we were very excited to see several of your runs on youtube and you seem to walk away with the whole title there
2: oh my gosh yes it was a whirlwind week i ended up winning the pro division and the security and also won the overall horsemanship award world championship.
0: Wow. Um,
2: as well as the go around wins. I was the high point of first two go arounds of each division. So came home with five buckles and a couple <laughs> of checks and just amazing horses.
1: <laughs> You've been doing extreme cowboy racing for a couple of years now?
2: Yes. This is my second year. Mm-hmm. Started first part of twenty sixteen. And competed all summer, went to the world finals um, in 2016, and ended up reserve champion of the pro division, and then got an invite to Calgary, went to Calgary this summer for the Cowboy Up Challenge up there. So this would be my second world finals.
1: Now, we saw you in Calgary. Did those points go to the extreme cowboy race, or was that a different event altogether?
2: It's a totally separate event. It's invitation only, 10 riders, $30,000 added money, and it's in conjunction with the Calgary Stampede Rodeo. So people that go to the Stampede can watch the rodeo. They can watch draft horse pulling. They can watch cutting and sorting and cowboy racing is one of the events they included in that rodeo. Well, you had quite a year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I would say so. I mean, I've been riding my entire life. Started out three day inning, transitioned into riding western, and just got into cowboy racing. You know, recently and and it's taken off exponentially.
1: <laughs> what attracted you to that sport?
2: My really really good friend Jenny Wentworth, who I've known for a couple of years, had been trying to get me to come and try it, and I just never committed to it. Never went to a race. I mean, to be completely honest, I thought it was a little silly. I was like, (laughs) oh my gosh, a little obstacle course, like come on. (laughs) You know, I was roping and and running barrels, and I was training a lot of colts, rode a lot of rainers and cutters, and just I don't know. I just didn't have a very good attitude about it. And when I finally did try it, it just overtook my whole world because it was so (laughs) challenging. It encompasses every aspect of horsemanship. You, you have to be a versatile rider and you have to have an all around versatile horse. They can't just be good at one thing and go out and win this. Like they can't just be good at reining maneuvers and go win a cowboy race, or they can't just be really, really brave and bold over obstacles and not have performance maneuvers down. So for me, it's such a challenge to prepare for these events and to try to get my horses where they are as absolutely broke as they can be, but also get them confident over obstacles and to the point where I can point them at anything and they just say, okay, I'm going. And they try to do it. They don't, you know, they can't say no. They can't ultimately can't tell you, "Uh -uh, I'm scared. I'm not doing that. They have to just go, all right, you're not going to put me in a bad position. I'll try it. Um, And that's been really challenging because, Coley, my black horse, was not naturally brave. He's a cutter, so he's has that watchy, kind of spooky, really, really sensitive Reactive. nature about him. Yeah, yeah a little uh-huh. bit, yeah. And he just looks at a lot of stuff. And it was really challenging that first year getting him to trust me that I wasn't going to put him through a water box that was going to kill him. You know, like he would look at stuff and go, ah, I can't see <laughs> you in there, it's crazy. And now he he finally gets it, and he's really good.
0: Do you remember your very first extreme cowboy competition?
2: Oh yes, <laughs> yes. Where was um, it? I went up. It was up in Shawnee, Oklahoma,
0: uh-huh.
2: um, at a lady named Tammy and David Bergard's place. They they run races every every year, and I went up and took a Johnny Clem clinic. Johnny Clem is a cutter turned extreme cowboy racer. He's had a lot of success with maturity horses. He's got a really nice open horse. Been to Calgary a couple times. So I took his clinic the first day before the race and literally knew nothing about how to get obstacles done. I mean, I could make my horse go over them, but my horse didn't, like, want to go over them.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And then raced the next two days, I believe. And it was just so fun. (laughs) I'll never forget the second day of the race. Um, We had an outdoor course through the woods. And Coley, being his goofy kind of spooky self, we got out in the middle of this thick wooded kind of river gully thing and we had just like a little moment together and he was like oh crap where are we and I was like I don't know man I think I might have forgot where we're going but we'll just keep going down this little trail and I will never forget it was like we had a little bonding moment there in a moment of chaos you know and from that moment on I was like I'm hooked I have to do this oh fun
1: now how long had you ridden that horse before you went into that competition
2: I think I'd had him at that point four years. Mm -hmm. Um, I bought him as a coming five-year-old from just some people in Stephenville. He was bred at Tarleton State University. They started him in their two-year-old program. And then he he was kind of just turned out and ridden maybe once or twice a year. So when I got him, he was coming five, pretty green broke still. And I actually bought him with the intent to resell him and absolutely fell in love with him. Mm -hmm. And he's not going anywhere now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) okay so you have your first race and you've done that you're you're going through now i imagine that you get home and you're going okay i want to do this more now i have to develop a plan to learn how to do this well because i can imagine you're a fairly competitive person i don't know why i get that feel but i (laughs) do so what what plan do you come up with when you get home and then how do you apply it to your horses
2: that's a good question. It's it's definitely evolved through the last two years. So when I came home from that race, I thought, oh my gosh, I have so much to work on. My horse was really broke. You know, he, he had all the performance maneuvers down, but he was by no means brave and bold and basically willing to go straight through an obstacle without any hesitation. So I came home and I started just throwing stuff at him. Like I did what... <laughs> You know, probably a lot of people do. It's just human nature. You go to the hardest obstacle first, right. and you ask your horse to do it at a lope and expect them to just like figure it out. And so I ruined a couple of <laughs> obstacles, specifically a teeter totter bridge and one called a pinwheel. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took probably six months of like going back and starting it slow and actually teaching it to him, not just throwing it at him. You know, I thought, oh my he's broke. We can lope little circles. We can, you know, he's, he's really responsive and really light to my hand and my leg. And why can't he just figure this out? You know? (laughs) And it was a really interesting process. Basically what I just did was every single day I went out, I would warm him up like I normally did, make sure he was soft and supple and listening and paying attention to my seat, my hands. And then I would pick a couple of obstacles and just work a little bit on it every single day. And, just through sheer repetition and months and months and months of doing that every single time I rode, he started to get a little better and a little better. And I tried to go to every race that I could during the summer to season him. Even though he had been halter rodeos and competed at barrel races in high pressure environments, it's just not quite the same as a cowboy race because they don't no course is ever the same. So your horse literally has no idea what it's about to have to attempt when you show up somewhere, neither does the person. But right. so it's not like he goes into the arena, it's the same three barrels or you back into the box and you're roping a cow and you're mm-hmm. gonna turn left, you know, or whatever. You know, seasoning him was a big thing, hauling him to all these different places and races and schooling after at the very end of the day and going back out on the course and and taking him over things that he hesitated at or he wasn't sure about. And steadily it just got better. And then the Faturity Horse that I had this year, I started him as a two year old.
1: What was his name?
2: Uh, I call him Rony Pony. (laughs) His owners call him Candy, but Rony Pony just stuck from the very beginning. Um, He's Red Roan. I'm I'm obviously not very creative with names. Coley's a black horse, and Rony Pony's Roan. So, anyway. So, started him just like any other cult I would start, and then quickly found out that he was extremely brave, had no fear of anything. Like, he would cross something the very first time, and never have any hesitation whatsoever never spooked at anything never acted goofy over obstacles or anything like that and as time progressed on I was you know talking to his owners and they'd come out and ride him every once in a while I said look he's like has a lot of potential to be really good at this sport because naturally for him these things are not scary and I said Coley that was the hardest part for him he was really broke but he he was terrified of everything and I said, I think this is the kind of quality that you want in a cowboy race horse. Mm-hmm. It didn't hurt that he was really athletic. He's reigning bread. So he had the ability and the talent to do all the performance maneuvers. He was just young and he had to learn them. Right. So with him, my process was I worked a whole lot more on his performance maneuvers, working on him softening his neck and bridling him up, stopping nice and straight his spins, his lead mm-hmm. changes. I did a whole lot more of that than the obstacles because that's what he needed. He -hmm. wasn't afraid of the obstacles. I could just point him and go, and he was pretty much going to cross everything the very first time he saw it. So, you know, those are the only two horses that I've ever cowboy raced on, (laughs) but it's kind of like anything else. I think you do what the horse needs, not just a set program, and that's where my horsemanship has evolved. I try to do what the individual needs in that moment, not just shove things down their throat it's not necessarily for them to learn you know or or they don't need that right so it's been a fun process
1: do horses when you're doing the extreme cowboy race i've noticed that watching barrel racing horses once you get those horses in the alleyway or or at the beginning of the run they get all amped up and they're anxious now you start a lot of those extreme cowboy races with a fast run around the outside of the arena do the horses get pretty amped up going in there? And do you have to work on keeping them calm so that they stay listening to you and and then tackle the obstacles when you want them to?
2: Sure. You know, I haven't encountered a whole lot of anxiety or horses, those two horses in particular, getting hot going into the arena. Mm-hmm. Roni had never raced, so he really didn't know what was going on. I just <laughs> kind of pushed him on and he was like, you want us to go fast? We don't go fast. <laughs> we never go fast. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, a little bit at home, but not not really. So he, it kind of took him a little by surprise, but he's so good-natured that he just did it, and he's, he's kind of a freak. Coley, on the other hand, I had run barrels on, and I'd roped on, which is a pretty high-pressure, mm. fast thing to ask them to do, and they do tend to get nervous in the box, nervous in the alley. He was never a horse that got bad, but I can definitely feel when I walk Coley into an arena – that he kind of wakes up like he knows what's coming. But I do so much slow work and so much preparation, and I ride him into the arena really quiet and pet on him and just try to ease some of that. And honestly, what I worked on this year a lot was my own nerves because last year at World Finals, I was a wreck. Like, (laughs) I mean, a train wreck. Couldn't eat, just so nervous because I'd done well in the first two go-rounds which nobody knew who I was and who's this person that came out of nowhere. and Brand like, new. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like beating all of these veterans. So I got really, really nervous last year and it showed up in the runs. I made a few little mistakes and that was just, you know, learning and the whole process. But this year I focused on my mental game and I feel like because I stayed as calm and quiet as I could and kept a good routine going, I spent a lot of time like alone and with my horses and tending to them that it helped when I rode them in. I didn't have that anxiety or nervousness that would feed into my horse. And so, I mean, it's always there. You can see it in some horses at the world finals. They would get really, really nervous and wound up. And really it comes down to what that individual horse needs management wise. You might need to go in and make a schooling run and do the whole thing slow. And right. that's what I told a lot of my clients this year at clinics was I said, you know, if you're at a small race during the year that's, you know, building up to world finals, I said, treat it like a schooling event. Go in. If your horse does something wrong, correct it. You know, if they're not straight on a bridge, stop, back them up and try it again. It's, You know, you're not trying to go out and win every little race throughout the year. You're, what my mentality was is I'm going to build up and get my horses as solid as I can so that at world finals I can turn them loose and go as fast as I feel comfortable with their level and hope that they stay put together under that pressure because of all the preparation I've done up to that point. So, you know, that potential is always there, but it it just comes down to good horse management, knowing your horse, paying attention to your horse, and giving them what they need in the moment they need it. You know, I never want to sacrifice my horse to win. Right. I, want, I want them to enjoy the job. And I, you know, if they do good, that's just like icing on the cake, you know. Um,
1: now, you said that you worked on your mental game and how you got mentally prepared. You said you stayed with your horses and you stayed away from everybody. Was that the main part of it or did you have some other techniques that you use to help prepare you mentally
2: I just tried to focus on myself and what made me feel good and what you know what my horses I thought my horses needed and so what that meant was you know I'd get up and feed and clean their stalls and then I would take them out of the stall for a walk because my horses live turned out all the time
0: mm-hmm. they don't
2: ever stand in a box stall so for them standing a whole week in a in a stall is pretty unusual Right. So, I tried to take care of their mental state as much as I could. And doing that, I think, helped me feel better about how they were going to act and perform. They stayed so quiet all week. <laughs> they were just, they ate, they drank, they were like, oh, this is no big deal. And then for me personally, you know, I went and had dinner and hung out, went to our world party and did all that. But like during the day, I didn't try to go out of my way to like, go watch anyone in particular, which I would love to go watch some of my friends race, but mm-hmm. it would make me anxious watching them, <laughs> you know? So if I needed to ride, I would just saddle up and I'd go ride in, in the up arena, go back, put them away, give them a bath, whatever, come, you know, eat just, I just kind of was in my own little world. And I kept telling myself when I would get anxious, anxiety or, I'm not sure what the other word is, but it's the same feeling as excitement. It's really the same chemicals going on. So every time I got nervous, I would just tell myself, I'm so excited. I'm so <laughs> excited to go race. I can't wait to go race. So I turned it a negative, which is nervous or anxiety into a positive.
0: Right. Wow. And I just would
2: keep telling myself that. And it just-
0: You finally just believed it?
2: Stuck <laughs> work. I guess, I mean, you know, and making sure I had plenty of sleep, Good food to eat, and just it—it it, it was kind of. I had to be pretty disciplined because I would have loved to gone and done a bunch of different things, but it just <laughs> that wasn't what was gonna keep us in the right frame of mind. And I haven't really competed a lot. I competed as a child, but not really. Probably in the last ten years, haven't done a whole lot of any showing. And I didn't realize, that's funny you said you thought I was competitive, because I really didn't (laughs) think I was, because I didn't have any desire to go out and compete in anything. And then I started doing this, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, like, super competitive. Oh, (laughs) yeah,
0: we watched your runs. Really, really, really (laughs) competitive. I had not heard of a futurity division for Extreme Cowboy.
2: So they've got, what it is, is it's a three- or four-year-old division class. Mm-hmm. So if they are a four-year-old, they cannot have competed at all in any obstacle competitions as a three-year-old. You nominate them in August of the year you're going to compete. So it's not like pay them a year in advance. It's pay up in August, September, October. You show in November. So you have a better um, idea if you,
0: yeah, if you have a good candidate. Yeah, it's you're a little right.
2: more inviting, and it's not outrageously expensive like some securitys are. You know, it's not. It's also not as big as like a raining or cutting security, but it's pretty inviting. It's the same obstacle course as what you're going to ride on an intermediate or a non-pro course.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, you
2: might not have to necessarily do as tough obstacles as the pro, but it's 13 obstacles. It's judged the same. It's timed the same. Gosh, it was just so fun. I mean, it, it, I never expected to have a fraternity horse this soon and have clients that were like, yeah, take him. Sure. And <laughs> you know, for me, having never shown in, in a fraternity before ever, it was a blast. And there are some tough, tough horses that come through from a lot of a lot of riders that have shown for years in EXCA. Yeah, right. Uh, it's not easy. Like it is not. You watch those fraternity horses, and you question whether they are really three or four because of the <laughs> things that they are doing. You know, it's it's one thing to take a three year old and show them one job, and get them really good at that one job like cutting or a reining pattern, not that it's easy by any means, but to throw, you know, sorting cattle and then cross a mogul and then do a reining spin and then do a lead <laughs> change and then do a jump and then, you know, drag right. something in, in a year or two years time there, I mean, you almost can't expose them to everything. Right. So I don't know. I just love the fact that it creates an extremely well-rounded horse that just takes, Things in stride, they really learn to trust their rider. It's 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 a partnership. You know, you've got to be in tune with that horse, and your horse has to be really in tune and paying attention to you to get these things done correctly right. and fast.
1: Now, Renee and I actually competed in uh, about three races this year in California. And one of the things that we struggled with were uh, one the obstacles. You never knew what you were going to be doing. But trying to get your horse to approach an obstacle and quickly go over it, do you have any secrets there? Is that just something that you build up to or is there something that you can do to help your horse so that when you're trotting along or at a at a lope and you need to go over an obstacle that he doesn't hesitate because you really lose a, a lot of valuable points doing that?
2: Yes. Yeah. Yes, I would say probably what i what I practiced the most early on with Coley was I would lope him past obstacles that he wanted to spook at and pretty much just ignore him like i would but I would make him lope past them if it was if the closest he would get was ten feet or fifteen feet, we would just lope past it, you know, or lope a circle around it and then leave and then come back and lope a straight line past stuff to the point where he didn't feel the pressure of having to go over it. He would just go past it and then building up to what Johnny Clem taught me was to pick a straight line to an obstacle, lope up to it and then transition your horse down to either a walk or a trot. And then as you're approaching the obstacle to just hold a light squeeze. And as soon as the horse engages the obstacle and goes to cross it, you relax and take your legs off and let them just cross it with no pressure. Mm-hmm. That helps a lot. And so like if, Coley what he would do is he would kind of balk and he would really suck back and slow down and I would squeeze lightly with my heels and if he kept continuing to suck back then I would like press with my spur and then roll with my spur and as soon as he went forward I'd take some pressure off of my legs and just through again sheer repetition of doing that every single time he balked at something he got to where now in a race if he hesitates a little bit I just just kind of close my legs on him. He's like, okay, I'm going right. because he knows once he gets on that obstacle, all the pressure's off. And the other thing, like bridges or water boxes, anything that's a straight line crossing. Mm-hmm. Again, what Johnny Clem taught me was if you, know, you approach it straight at the 10 foot mark, say before the obstacle, 10 feet before the obstacle, you put your hands down. Loosen the reins, and he said, Let your horse choose. Let them choose to go straight, let them choose to go left, let them choose to go right, whatever it is. And he said, As soon as they go off of that straight path, if they go to your left, you immediately stop, back them up to that 10 foot mark, and approach it again. And you don't get mad at them, you don't get after them, you don't, you know, it's not a You didn't do it right. I'm going to get after you. You just keep repeating forward and back, forward and back until your horse chooses a straight path. And then, again, relax. No pressure on them. And it absolutely works.
1: It's essentially a restart then.
2: Uh Uh-huh. Yes.
1: And you're backing them up. You're not turning them around and then going back to the starting point. You're stopping. Yes. Backing up. So it's not like uh, they're turning away from the obstacle like they tell you never to do for cattle, right? Exactly.
2: Yes, and that is so, that is crucial. Like, I would never, ever, ever turn a horse away from an obstacle. If they are legit scared and really spooking, you just keep their nose towards, turned towards it and circle it if you have to. But I would never, ever turn a horse away from an obstacle because then it gives them an out. They know they can then turn away and go left or go right. So essentially it becomes once you've engaged in the obstacle, it's either straight on or it's straight back. And eventually, you know, horses don't love to back up. So eventually you back <laughs> them up enough times. They're like, man, I wonder if I just go straight over this thing. <laughs> and, you'll leave them, and then you leave them alone and they're like, oh, I knew it. All I had to do was go straight and they'll just leave me alone. <laughs> you know, it takes some patience and some consistency of every single day I practice obstacles. Even if it's just one or two, that's what it really took to get my horses pretty good. And also practicing little mock courses. Right, putting a string of five or six obstacles together and not necessarily doing them fast. But when you put things in a string in your mind mentally, I think for me personally, I lose focus on all the little details. And so like I would lope up to like, say a spin box and I wouldn't ride in straight or I wouldn't stop my horse in the right position to make a good spin where I didn't hit the poles or something. And So it was, again, it was training my brain to stay in the moment of that single obstacle, complete that as best I can, and then go on to the next one, not be thinking three obstacles ahead, because then you mess up something in the moment
0: there. That's great advice.
2: Yeah, well, and I took a judge's clinic with Peter Frazier, who's one of the only five-star judges of the XCA, and he was making a comment about greatest sports athletes say when they get really good, the game slows down Mm
0: -hmm. and
2: they see everything play by play. It's not that muddled, crazy mess of like chaos in front of you. And you feel like you're behind all the time. And I feel like having practiced a lot of those techniques through the last two years, the game is slowing down for me on these two horses, at least, Mm because I know them really well. But it's, you know, the race itself feels slow, even though I'm going really fast. And that's been just a really cool process because the first couple of races were like I mean, <laughs> they were really fast. <laughs> and, oh we were just out of control mildly, but you know.
1: Do you get extra points for riding one handed in the bridle at EXCA?
2: You know, to my knowledge and my understanding of the rule is no. <laughs> you might get a little bit higher horsemanship score, mm-hmm. but it's not gonna be anything dramatic. So like in the faturity, I had a, like a little low port correction on the faturity horse and I rode him two handed because he's three. He's really not ready to go one handed through an obstacle course. (laughs) And to my knowledge, you're not docked any major points that hasn't become a rule where if you're in a shank bit, you have to ride one handed. I mean, honestly, my strategy is I want my horses to ultimately ride one handed and be really, really solid. But when I'm showing and I'm trying to win, I'm going to do whatever that horse needs on that obstacle in that moment. So if that means I reach down with two hands, complete the obstacle two-handed, then go back to one, that's what I'm going to do because it's going to show my horse the best.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And that's just kind of my strategy and my thoughts behind it. I'm sure everyone else has a different theory or a different thought process behind that. Some people just, they're one-handed and they're going to stay one-handed. And that's how I do them. I just, I, I make mistakes you know, I'm not good enough, my horse isn't quite good enough yet to just stay one handed and get everything done really, really pretty and nice.
1: I've got one more competition question for you. When you're when you're making those big runs and Craig Cameron's announcing and he says, Here's Megan, she's quicker than a toad's tongue catching a fly Do you hear him making those comments?
2: You know? Um, no, pretty much no. no good. <laughs> there there were maybe a few moments where, actually, I do remember one in particular. I was doing rollbacks on the fence, and, and Craig said, and now watch this rollback, and sit. And, and through all my years of riding and and being coached, when he said, and sit, I did, but my time <laughs> was off. I didn't intend to sit, and I was like, come on, Craig. <laughs> my horse still stopped good, but it was like <laughs> – you know, like you hear something and you want, the, like, I snap to follow it, you know, from being right. pushed, but that was funny. <laughs> no, other than that, I, he says the darndest things, I don't even know. <laughs>
0: and constant. <laughs> I know, yeah. I know. Yeah, we watched one of the Facebook runs, and it's amazing. You're just so technically correct and fast. <laughs> My question <laughs> was, geez, I wonder if she can hear him talking that whole time. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and uh, there's blurps every once in a while, but not really. <laughs> he's very
0: entertaining. Yeah,
1: <laughs> now, yes, you're doing, very. and you are doing some horse training. You're you're doing clinics. Do you do basic horsemanship, or do you just focus on helping people train for the things like extreme cowboy racing?
2: Well, so I've been teaching and training horses for the last eight years professionally. Honestly, I think it all comes down to good solid horsemanship. So the vast majority of my clinics are horsemanship based because you have to be precise in how you train your horse. You've got to do the same things every day. You, you know, you've got to be really consistent with your horse, with your expectation, how you ask them to do things. It comes down to repetition and consistency and holding yourself to a higher standard to get better so that your horse can get better. So I do do some obstacle clinics, particularly before we have like our local races here in Texas, I'll do a one day clinic of obstacles before the race over the weekend, but still, the biggest thing I preach is good horsemanship and riding correctly and riding effectively, and it, it that's what I think stands out the most. That's helped me in my racing is mm. constantly working on my horsemanship. I, I mean, like I said, I do obstacles every day. The obstacles go really good if your horsemanship is really good and your horses trained and listening to you and responsive. And, you know, you've got a connection with them and they trust you. And so I'll probably end up doing some more obstacle type clinics, but I'm not going to throw away that horsemanship aspect. If somebody's having trouble and it looks like, Hey, you need to go work on this certain thing to help this obstacle go better. I'm going to do that rather than just try to fight to get the obstacle done. Because once you get your horse broke and soft and responsive to all of your cues obstacles Hmm. are easy really you know it's just putting their feet in a different position or a different spot
1: through your years of training have you noticed if there's one thing that most like call them recreational horsemen struggle with is there one tenant of horsemanship that you constantly are hope are working on with with people at your clinics
2: Yeah, I would probably say it's pretty broad. I mean, it's kind of just a general thing. But I always try to help people understand that if you allow your horse to do something once, you know, you have to be diligent about correcting them every time they do it if it's something like you don't want. So if, you know, you stop them and you let them root the reins out of your hands and you do nothing, they're going to do it again and again and again. And it gets worse and it gets worse. And so it's, I'd really try to teach people to be aware and to have a consistent expectation level. If your horse does something really good, you need to expect them to do it good again. If they don't, you make a correction. If I could help give that to anyone, it would be that feel of saying, nope, that wasn't good enough and I'm going to correct them and then I'm going to try it again. And when your horse does it great again, then you reward them and move on.
1: And be vigilant of all those negative little things that they do that you might be sitting around talking with your friends and not notice that they're rooting the reins out of your hand.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's it's awareness. And it it takes some serious discipline. Like, that's what I'm realizing. I mean, I've been riding my whole life, and I'm just – I love to train. Like, if I could do anything, I would just probably, like, train young horses all day, every day. But it it takes so much focus. Like, you cannot be on the phone. You can't be talking to somebody – Like if I go to a clinic and I bring a horse, I almost don't even like to do that anymore because I can't give my horse the attention that he needs for that concentrated amount of time that he's Mm. going to be able to learn while I'm teaching. So I would rather be on the ground and give 100% of my attention to that person that I'm helping or the group that I'm helping because I can't do justice to my horse sitting on him And not focusing 100% on them and what they're doing and what they need.
1: Right. If people want to find out more about your clinics and your horsemanship, where can we send them?
2: Best place to go would be on Facebook. I've got a business page. It's just Megan Warlick Horsemanship. I've also got my personal page that uh, I usually share back and forth between the two. Mm -hmm. And then I do have a website, which is just MeganWarlickHorsemanship.com. We're in the process of updating that. Uh, hopefully before January 1st, that'll be all updated with all the clinics throughout the year. And really you just have to check back because I've got a lot of clinics booked right now, but there'll be more throughout the year that get added onto the website.
1: Sounds great. We know we have some friends that have, uh, you've come out to California and given mm-hmm. a couple of clinics. Temecula,
0: up. I think. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. been a lot of fun. Yeah, we did some of our cowboy racing with Adrienne DeWolf.
1: <gasps> yes!
0: And oh her God, toaster.
2: I, I was yes yeah. uh-huh oh my gosh that yeah they're she, they're pretty I cute oh so, I wanted her to come to world finals so bad I was on her I'm like please just come you love it please just come she's like oh I don't know she's so quiet I'm like oh. yeah I'm like no you're really good and like I've seen her through the years she's been through three or four different horses and the fact that she finally found toaster and yeah it's perfect for her and I was so excited for her to be doing that <laughs>
0: Yeah, she'll, I, she'll keep doing it. I think you'll get her to Worlds
1: one of these days. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks for joining us on the show today. This is this is Thank a great time. Thank
0: you for having me. I appreciate it.
1: It was a fun interview, Renee.
0: Very fun. She's really well-spoken and sounds like a great horsewoman.
1: And she had a whole bunch of great tips that I'm hoping to try out with Jesse in Scratch.
0: Yes, she did.
1: Well, that'd do it for this show. Thanks to Megan Warlock for sharing her experiences and some horse training tips on the Woe Podcast. I'll have the links to Megan's website and her Facebook page in the show notes at woepodcast.com.
0: Use the Apple Podcast app to subscribe to the Woe Podcast and you'll never miss an episode. You can also subscribe on Google Play, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. All the shows are free and they're all at woepodcast.com.
1: Please visit woepodcast.com and sign up for our emails to stay up to date. Have a suggestion for a guest, a comment, just email john at woepodcast.com. The Woe Podcast is produced by John and Renee Hare with support from you, our listeners. If you would like to support the show, visit woepodcast.com and click on the Patreon button. Thanks again for listening to and sharing our podcast with your friends and riding buddies.
0: Until next time, go have some fun with your horses.
1: Bye-bye, everybody. Thanks again to that cat for running across the microphone.